the book of Psalms, number 85, the 85th Psalm. Psalm number 85. Usually you can just let your Bible fall open right in the middle and pretty well hit the Psalms. Eighty-five. The 85th Psalm. It's close to the middle of the... I think uh, Psalm 118, I believe, is pretty much right in the middle. So it's close to right in the middle of the Bible. I want to start off with a question this morning. Is there something that's dead in your life? You know, there are many things that can seem to be dead. Dreams, visions, relationships. Is there something that's dead in your life? That's good, yes. You know, we could look individually. We could even look corporately. You know, is, is there something that's dead around us even? Is there groups that are dead? You know, like relationships between churches or relationships between races? Is there economic things that are dead is there what is is there something that's dead in the, in your life either personally or something that you can think of even outside yeah you know, the reason i'm asking that is because god is the one who brings life to the dead and sometimes there are things that only God can bring a resurrection to. We've been talking about revival. And, you know, revival at its heart, you know, it, when you talk revive, you know, so you're, you're bringing life again. There's something that had, been, had life at one time, and then it's getting revived it's getting relifed okay so god is the one who brings the life from the dead look let's uh read through psalm 85 let me read this and then i'm going to try to um, explain a little bit of this but i'm going to need your help this morning okay because um, this is this is a very interesting psalm and the way it's put together is very um it's very different, and I'm going to explain that. Uh, but hopefully, um, like I said, I'm going to need your help too. And we're going to we're going to see how what what the Lord, I believe, is doing with this psalm. For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. O Lord, you showed favor to your land; you restored the captivity of Jacob; 
You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not, uh, let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him, and will make his footsteps into a way. Very poetic. Very much a... Uh, uh, on first reading, honestly, on first reading, it's, it's really it's, it's nice. But the way this is put together is what I want to, I want to show you. The way, even the way it's put together reveals a, a lot. And this is where I'm going to need your help. Okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the first... Uh, the first few verses... O Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. What? what uh, I need someone who's a grammarian, <clears throat> or maybe a couple of grammarians in here. What tense are those verses? Past. Past. Okay? You forgave. You, you gave. You... Um, you covered, all right, past, past tense, all right? Let me tell you, when, pe- when people uh, think that this was written, all right, this, this psalm, uh, they believe, was written after the exile. So um, remember, uh, Judah went into captivity in Babylon, okay? Remember, Nebuchadnezzar came, uh, destroyed Jerusalem, took a whole bunch of the, the people captive, took them to Babylon, and then uh, when Cyrus uh, from the Persian kingdom came along, um, he, he declared, said, okay, I'm going to let you guys go and, and build a temple back in Jerusalem. And remember, when they finally do that and they finally get the temple um, started and get it, get it built, um, it says that, that people actually, some, some rejoiced because they had started the temple and others looked at it and went, this is not nearly what the old temple was. And they, they cried. And so they couldn't even distinguish between the shouts of joy and the, the cries because it was, it was not what it was. Okay, this is the time period that they believed this psalm was written is when they had been let go and gone back to Jerusalem. And at some point, post-exile, is, is this, this psalm it was written, and at least that's what that, what people believe. Okay, um, and one thing that's remember too, when when the second temple was built after the exile, there's never a time where it says that God came and inhabited that temple. 
the way that he did with the first tabernacle and temple. Okay, so the presence of God never came there in power like, he, like it did with the first temple. But now this psalm, going back to the first few verses, um, God forgave. He, he, uh, they're all past tense. And what this is, um, it, it's really a prophetic past, if you will. Okay? You're like, what, what, what do you mean by that? That's, um, in some of these ancient languages like Hebrew or, or Greek, if someone is so confident of something happening, they'll put it in the past tense. They'll be like, I know that I know that I know that this is going to happen. I'm so confident I'm going to talk like it already has happened. Okay? And that's what the, this, that's what scholars really see this as. They're so confident in God's blessing and his salvation and his restoration that they put it in the past tense. So let me kind of outline this a little bit. The first few verses, all right, right, that we just read, these are the, the promises of God, right? Notice, um, you showed favor to your land, right? Remember, did God gave them a, what kind of land that they went into in the land of Canaan? Milk and honey, promised land, right? Right? Um, you restored the captivity of Jacob. They came out of Egypt, just like, right? Um, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. So a lot of this, um, you know, was, they're saying, just like what happened in the wilderness and God restored, and God brought us into the land, I know that the promises of God are faithful, and that you're going you're gonna to do that again. So, I'm going to put here promises. Now, here's where I need your help. What are the promises of God that He's given to those people, the especially in the Old Testament, okay? So think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So put your mind, you know, think about the, the, the people of Korah here that are writing down this psalm. What promises do you think God has given? One of those is mentioned right there. What promises did God give to Abraham? Nation. Okay. Peace? Peace? Did they hear peace? I think I heard peace. Yeah, I'll have to do it this way. What about to Abraham? God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to do what? I'm going to give you a nation. Did I hear? Okay, I've got nation or. I'm going to give you a son. So descendants, right? I can't spell descendants this morning, but... 
All right, SC. I was never good at spelling, but once I did Greek, I like Greek and Spanish together, and then all my spelling went out the window. I can't spell for anything anymore. So just bear with me. Um, what else? There, there's one mentioned right there, like the first verse. I'm going to give you some land, right? What else? I'm going to make your I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you have out prosperity, right? That's what that's what he says to Abraham, right? I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you uh, you know the the, the land flung. I think Steve said milk and honey, right? That's part of the the promise of being in the land, right? So these are all promises that God. God gave to Israel, and what what they're saying is he, they're they're saying you're going to restore the promises to us. I know it beyond a doubt; these promises will be here. Okay, restore, O God, of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger? This is verse five. Uh, to all generations, will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So obviously the, the time that they're going through, this is, this is the, the, it's all a prayer, but this is kind of the supplication part. Okay, this is the, this is the time that, um, you know, they remind, he reminds God of the promises, right? These are the promises I know you're going to give to us. I'm confident of that. And then here it's, they're, they're, they're saying, okay, Lord, we're going through a time of trial right now. And it doesn't say exactly what it is. It, it, it seems like this, uh, in this post-exile period, they're, they're realizing that they're not living in the promises of God. They're realizing that, that maybe the, the nation as a whole have, have, have sinned, they've gone astray, because we know Israel did that a whole lot, that they would turn to God and then and God would say, yes, here, here's, here's promises. And then they'd turn away and they'd, they'd go back to worshiping idols. And then God would say, all right, have it your way. And he'd withdraw his hand and they'd, all of a sudden they would have to turn back because, because God would give them um, his wrath instead of his blessing, right? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not re- yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So they're saying, Lord, would you turn your anger away and let us be revived by you? And really, it's, it's, a, it's an act. There's not much language of it, but it's, a, it's an act of repentance. It's a turning towards God and asking the Lord to turn his anger from them and to revive them. The, the the one part in there, um, uh, where'd it go? Um, so will you show us your loving kindness? Um, some of these are the verses. Um, some of these verses actually go back to passages from like Exodus 
that where God says, you know, my loving kindness will be with you. And he, he, he declares um, in Exodus after the, uh, the golden calf incident that he is a God that will show his loving kindness and that he is he's gracious and merciful and uh, will show his loving kindness to, to um, generation after generation. Okay, so they're, they're invoking the promises that God would, would forgive. But then look at verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will say. This is um, like Habakkuk says, I'll hear what the Lord says. Um, For he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones, peace to shalom. So it's not just what we think of as peace. Okay, we think peace is just an absence of fighting. But the shalom of God is much more than that. It's a a restoration of, of what is right. Um. Let them not turn back to folly. That's ba- that's really kind of the only verse there um, that is talks about not turning uh, to to sin, but to keep their face and their faith towards the Lord. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him. That glory may dwell in your land. Let me. So. So I'm going to, I missed my outline point here. Uh, four through seven. I'm just going to put prayer. Now verse, I'm having trouble writing. Eight through 13. Um, surely, verse nine, salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Whose glory? God's glory, right? Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Now, where, where, do, you think, where do you think that happens? Loving kindness and truth and righteousness and peace. Right? Let's, let's keep reading. You'll get it. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce Righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. This actually, so we look to the past for the promises in verse 1 through 3. All right, verse 8 through 13 is a looking forward for them, okay? For them, a looking forward to the future fulfillment, not to us, because we have the presence of the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus came as Emmanuel, as God with us. But for them, they're looking forward to future promises of hope where God himself will come in his glory. And because he comes in his glory, you have uh, have, uh, loving kindness and truth Together, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. God looks down and things spring up on the earth, right? There's this interconnected because God is in heaven and he's dwelling on the earth. Then, then just looking down and we had the fruit of him just springing forth in the earth, right? Indeed, the Lord will give what is good. Our land will yield its produce. I love this. Um, uh, righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. The idea is you're following after 
the righteousness and holiness of God and you're in his presence. So let me ask you, so what are the promises for being in the presence of God? Some of those are listed here, but just rain, what, what, what can you think of promises, promises in God's presence? Okay. And I think, I think that's really great harvest, both, both a literal harvest and a spiritual harvest. What else? Faithfulness. Say again. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's good. Peace. Carolyn, did you say? Righteousness, okay. I got righteous. Right. Mercy. <laughs> Truth. And running out of space. But think, think about everything you get in God's presence. You get the justice. You get the hope. You get um, salvation. You, you get uh, a, a wholeness within you, Right? Um, think when Jesus came to the earth, what did, what did he give? Right? He, he, he brought deliverance. He brought healing. He brought hope. He brought salvation, both physically, emotionally, spiritually. He brought forgiveness. All of those because God's presence is there and he revives those things that are dead. Now, now what, what I wanted to really get at is, you know, I, the, the first and the last part there are promises, and they are, um, the first especially, it's, we, they are so confident, so confident that God is going to fulfill these things. But what gives them that confidence? They're confident in God's forgiveness. They're confident in God's forgiveness. And I think if we, as we're going forward and we are looking at these promises of God and we want, we're asking for God to revive us, right? We're asking for the Lord to come and to to revive us in, in many ways, individually, corporately, to revive our area. I think just as they were confident in the forgiveness of the Lord, we need to be confident in the forgiveness of the Lord as well. So let me ask, are you confident in His forgiveness? Let me, let me take that a, a step further. Because many times, you know, we do things and legitimately those things are wrong. Sometimes it's when we're younger, way before we have ever heard about the Lord. Sometimes we do things after we've heard about the Lord. 
sometimes you know it's um, things we have uh, we've gone totally the wrong way and we've meant to do and sometimes it's things that we haven't meant to do but they've still been wrong and a lot of times those things hold us back in our lives and they always they crop up in our mind or in our heart and they, they keep us from getting to the promises or the presence because we're not confident in the forgiveness of the Lord. We're not confident that we have been completely and totally forgiven. And they are so confident in this psalm that God not only will forgive, but that His forgiveness brings the promises and will bring His presence. Because they're confident that by the prayer, God's forgiveness is absolute. Let me, um, let me show you one other thing here, and I want to keep on talking about this for forgiveness for just a moment. If you notice as you go through this psalm, there's very, very few things that we are supposed to do here. Look through there real quick. Just, I, I, want, I want to see if you pick this out. How many things are we as a people, or they here, does it say that they are supposed to do in this psalm? Okay. Listen. Uh huh. Rejoice. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple more. Faithful. What about? Um, there you go. And you will not return to your folly and also um, yep verse nine for surely his salvation is near to those who those who fear him so now compare that to what God does. Do you see all, all, all the verbs that God had? Lord, you showed favor. You restored. You forgave. You covered. You, with, you withdrew your fury. You turned away. Restore us, O oh God. Cause your indignation toward us to cease, right? Will you, be, will you be angry forever? Will you prolong? Will you not yourself revive? You see the contrast? I saw that and I went, wow, the contrast. This is not, look, Lord, we, can we be good enough to get your salvation? Is there something that we can do to have you turn towards us? No, it's, we are so confident that you're going to forgive that all we have to do is ask. And it says to turn away. Don't, don't return to it. 
That, that, that word folly there is really interesting. It only occurs twice in the entire um, Old Testament. It, it occurs there, and it occurs in Job 4, uh, where it, it says, it's really, and it, how it's translated in Job 4 is confidence. So, like, that is two totally, two totally different confidence and folly. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you get that. But I think, I think the idea, and I'll, I'll, I'll shed a little more light on this, it's, it's a, I believe it's kind of a confidence in yourself and in what you are doing. All right? So, and that can be a folly to have confidence in yourself but not in God. Right, I'll, I'll show you that in a little bit more in a minute. Let me tell you, um, I ask, what can God, rev- you know, what in you is dead? Right, let me, let me give you an example. Let me tell you about these people, the Korah, the sons of Korah. Because if there's anybody in Scripture that this would apply to taking death and bringing it back to life it's the sons of Korah if you remember in the book of Numbers it was Korah um, who led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron and um, this is in Numbers chapter 16 um, and I'll just tell you real quick what it is if you want to look if you want to read it you, you can go back and read it uh, but uh, Korah led a rebellion against Moses, and he took 250 men. And it said that 250 men were all men of renown. So these were leaders of Israel. This wasn't he didn't he didn't get the the riffraff right. He got the leadership of Israel to go up against Moses and against Aaron. Korah was actually a um, also a, a, in the Levite tribe. So they were um, they were had responsibilities with the tabernacle. Um, this wasn't just somebody. This was somebody in sort of in leadership. If you think about, it, this was kind of a, a deacon, if you will, in in the in the church, the the church of Moses. All right, the kind of that, they had leadership responsibility, um, but they they brought um, a, a, an issue against Moses, and they brought 250 leaders with them, and Moses said. Look, you, we're, God's going to decide. I want everybody to get a fire pan, put some incense on it, and you know God is going to decide who He favors. And come and come to the entrance of the, the tent of meeting tomorrow, and we'll see what happens. And Moses gets a little bit righteous indignation here at this point with Korah. And so they come, and God answers and says, "No, you're not going to come against Moses and Aaron." And um, he, God strikes down the, 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 the 250, and Moses says, um, if this was just me, let these, uh, these Korites um, die a natural death, but if God himself is answering, let the earth open up and let them uh, go, you know, descend alive into the earth. And what happens? The, the earth opens up, and it says Korah, um, actually, I'm going to, Run over there real quick. Numbers 16. Um, yeah, so verse 19 says that Korah assembled all the congregation against them. 
at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Um, So um, verse 44, uh, 45 says, Get away from the, among the congregation that may consume them instantly. Oh, that was not where I, uh, where I was looking. Sorry, say again, Ruth. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. I was losing my place. If these men die the death of, this is verse 20, death of men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entire new thing, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up, with all their, this theirs, they descend the shield, and you'll understand that these uh, men have spurned the Lord. As they finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up in their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. Now, what's really interesting, though, if you flip over to Numbers 26... Numbers 26, verse 11. So you here you have uh, the earth opens up and swallows the, the, these folks who rebelled against Moses. But in verse 11, uh, Numbers 26, it says, The sons of Korah, however, did not die. You see that? Now, um, keep on going right in there to First Chronicles uh, 26. Okay? You have Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and Chronicles. So, First Chronicles 26, verse 19. Says these were the divisions of the gatekeepers of the sons of Korah. Uh, uh, did you see that? What what is their position? Gatekeepers. Where where was it that they assembled against Moses? At the gate, the, at the the doorway to the the tent of meeting, doorway to the tabernacle, and here only God can do this. They get totally restored. So we're at, it was at the gate that they that his this their father rebelled, right, and caused the death of two hundred fifty men in their household. Now, years later, they are put in charge of the gate, and not only that, but they are wearing as a badge that they are sons. Of Korah. They're the sons of the one who led the rebellion. And saying, look, we have turned and we have been restored. Now, let me ask you that question again. What is dead in your life that God can restore? And then you, like a son of Korah, can wear that as a badge. I was once 
persecuted. But now I'm free. I was once in bondage, but now I'm liberated. I was once fill in the blank, but now I'm this. I was once dead, now I'm alive. I was once wounded, but, but now I've been healed. I was once a person like this. I was bitter, I was angry, I was, um, I was in sin, I was uh, addicted, I was, but now I am And with that, it will give you the confidence in the forgiving power and the resurrecting power of God to take you from what you were to taking that badge of I was this. But now, God has totally revived and changed me. And a lot of that is confidence that God will forgive and God will turn and God will take that dead thing and turn it into life. It's believing that God will forgive. But let me also say, sometimes it's forgiving on our own parts too. Because you might be confident that God will forgive, but sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. Because that unforgiveness, even if it's not unforgiveness of others, but the unforgiveness for our own life, will hinder us getting to these promises and to the presence. Because we're not confident that God will take those sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. So it's confidence that God's forgiveness is great enough to take those sins and remove them from us so that we can walk in the promises. And then we can take that and we can wear it as a badge. I once was blind but now I see. I once was lost, but now I am let's, let's pray. Yeah, I'm going to ask a question. I, I, I'm just going to have everybody keep their eyes closed for just a second because I want to pray in a moment. But I want to ask the question, if there... What I started out with is, is there something that is dead in your life that you need God to resurrect 
that may or may not have something to do with forgiveness. It may be that you need to trust in God's forgiveness of you, that you need to, it may be that you um, uh, need to forgive yourself. It may mean that you also need to forgive somebody else. You might have to let go of something in order to trust in God's forgiveness and to walk in the promise, to walk in the presence. And to let that thing, whatever that is in your life, let God resurrect it. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. And I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if if you would if you would do something, um, just if that's you, uh, if you just like you need to cover your heart or lift out your hands just to receive this prayer. Lord, I, I pray for each person in here who has that thing in their, their mind right now. That they're saying, Lord, I, I only you can make this right. Only you can bring life to this thing, whatever it is. This relationship, this hurt, this pain, this... Um, this thing that needs to be healed or this thing that needs to be forgotten or forgiven. Lord, I pray for each one of these. And Lord, I ask that you would bring your resurrection power, your revival power to these things that are dead and bring them to life. In a way only you can. I don't know what that looks like for each person, Lord, but you do. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would go through each person here. Touch that thing, whatever it may be. Lord, bring your forgiveness where that's needed. Bring your hope, your deliverance your joy, your peace, your comfort, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your hope, your healing, your salvation to each person that needs it here. Lord, I pray for a miracle of your resurrection. And it's each unique individual way for each person that is asking for that prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen.